Welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie. Good to be with you. We got a lot of show today. Breaking down news of the day with me, my contributor, Jessica Burbank, Rebel HQ contributor and an amazing analyst should be a great breakdown. First story of the day, Jesse Lee Peterson is gay, all right? He was on the show, he started to bash members of the LGBTQ community in the bullpen and I kicked him off the program. Now multiple individuals that he has sexual relationships with, they did a full interview about their encounters with him over many years and the involvement that he has had with many men during his tenure as the head of Bond, which is an organization dedicated according to preacher Jason Lee Peterson, an organization that is supposed to rebuild men. Now remember, there is no issue with Jesse Lee Peterson being gay, in my opinion, whatsoever. The issue is his hypocrisy. This man has literally made a life and monetized off of bashing members of a community that he's actually a part of. Let me remind you of that interview a few months ago, here it is. This is probably going to end up being an utter waste of my time having you on the show. Uh, do you, oh, what, what are your thoughts about You Black don't know Lives that, Matter? you may learn something. Well, we'll, we'll see, uh, Preacher. Uh, what, what's about, what is it about Black Lives Matter uh, that you disagree with fundamentally? Black Lives Matter was founded by a bunch of fat, black, radical lesbians. Okay, and who all right, have God. a good night. Get this clown off my show, I appreciate who you. Thank you. Yeah. I said, get this clown off my show. I'm in every word of it. Now, there's one testimony I'm gonna bring you first. It's an interview. The individual gives a lot of detail. I don't have time on this show to go through all of the interviews, but here's part of it. All of a sudden he turned to me, just looked me, looked at me and he said, what do you wanna do? What do you want to do? And he said it in a in a tone that was really insistent. And I'd never seen this tone from him before. It was like kind of scary. It kind of scared me. Like, like what? What do you want to do? I knew what he meant, and then I told him, well, okay. And at first I'm scared and I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm playing along here. It kind of threw me off my game, I guess, in a way. I think later I realized that's kind of something that people do sometimes. It's it's like the devil works in a certain way by intimidating you and it throws you off your normal game. And so he said, what do you want to do? And he's like, okay, I'm scared. And then uh, I said, I told him what I want to do. I, I mentioned sex acts, you know, that, we, that he knew about that I had already talked to him about that I was interested in. And next thing you know, he's ripping his clothes off and coming at me basically. And I did the same, took my clothes off. And next thing you know, we're, we're fully at it, having, not, not getting into detail here, but basically full on uh, sexual acts. That is Mr. Patrick Rooney. Uh, Mr. Rooney has known Mr. Peterson since 1992. Uh, they have been on programs together. They have preached together. They have traveled the country together. In that testimony, in that interview of his experiences with Jesse Lee Peterson, I need you to remember there's a mixed bag here. Because while a Christian right organization did these interviews. They're not doing them to stand as allies with members of the LGBTQ community. They're doing it because they believe Jesse Lee Peterson 
has betrayed their sacred trust of manhood or some ridiculous garbage like that. So as far as the media company, the media platform, I don't subscribe to. But the individuals who have decided to come forward, I believe their stories are quite credible. Here's another one. So then he starts rubbing my thighs and I'm like, okay, what is he doing? Like, it's kind of crazy. And then he starts rubbing my genital area and I'm like, uh, what's happening right now? And then he, uh, and then he pulls down my pants and I'm like, I'm shocked. I'm not saying anything. I'm like, my face is like, whoa, what the hell is happening right now? From there, Jesse instructed Samuel to go into his so-called meditation called the silent prayer. And he's like, doubt all thoughts, all thoughts are lies. Everything Satan is telling you is a lie. And I'm like, okay. But inside is telling me, hey, you, this is not good. Um, what, are, what are you doing? Uh, what are you allowing him to do? Once again, the issue is not about the homosexuality of Jesse Lee Peterson. Jesse Lee Peterson has taken money for years to go around this country to animate violence and hate against members of the LGBTQ community. That's what he's done. And I apologize, I get emotional about this because individuals like Jesse Lee Peterson are the reason that many individuals in the community cannot be free to be themselves. Now, this is the most troubling of all of the accusations so far. Another alleged victim was Trayvon Chapman, who in 2015 told his friend, now 43-year-old Armand Martikian, that Jesse molested him. Well, the first thing came out of his mouth, uh, that Jesse's homosexual. And I say, you know, he can't be saying this, you know, like he's all against it. He's a, you know, straight conservative man who, you know, this is like, what you're saying is bizarre, you know, it doesn't make sense. But at the same time, it kind of struck me as a truth. What this guy was saying, he was explaining the incidents, like certain acts that they would do. They had some nicknames, Jesse had nicknames for it, you know. Uh, say, instead of telling what the act is, he say named it oral massage, according to Trayvon. Many of the individuals who have decided to go on record, they have made it very clear they were vulnerable. They were coming from a bad place in life. Some of them were addicted to drugs and alcohol. They saw Jesse Lee Peterson as a savior to them. Mr. Rooney, when he decided to come clean to his son and his wife about his ongoing sexual affair with Jesse Lee Peterson, he said his son got mad at him because he literally believed Jesse Lee Peterson could walk on water. He called Jesse Lee Peterson with his son on the phone and preacher Peterson admitted to the affair. Once again, he has been accepting money for damn near 30 years to go around and bash members, our brothers and sisters part of the community. Los Angeles anti-gay pastor, online radio host, and Manosphere star, Jesse Lee Peterson, is alleged to have had multiple gay relationships and exhibited a pattern of sexual harassment against male associates. 
Several of Peterson's former friends and associates have come forward, including one who claimed he had been in a decade long sexual relationship with Peterson. Now there are people who are saying, well, why are they just now coming out? There are some Jesse Lee Peterson defenders here. First of all, it doesn't matter when they come out, if they were sexually harassed by their preacher, by their pastor, they can come out anytime, okay? But the reality is many of these individuals did. Some of them tried to document this and recorded Jesse Lee Peterson as he was walking away from them. And they were saying, why did you do this to me? So this is not the first time. This is the first time everything has been coordinated and it hit an actual media platform that distributed to the masses. That's the first. The accusations have caused leading figures in the online manosphere, which is a ridiculous group they've made up, a loose network of men's rights activists, groups, and similar organizations to distance themselves from Peterson, banning him from events and speaking engagements. Now remember, he's getting canceled by insignificant white bigots. That's who's canceling Jesse Lee Peterson right now, okay? The radical right wing Catholic Church militant group first broke the story in June with a 30 minute video. That was part of that video. The first person you saw was Patrick Rooney, who has known Peterson since 1992, claims in the video that the pastor made subtle sexual advances toward him for years, but they did not become sexually involved until 2005. Two other former Bond members. Now, let me remind you of what the Bond membership was about. He literally had men living with him at his, let's call it compound, where he said he was redeeming men, all right? He had them living together, they were vulnerable. Many of them just came from a very dark situation to only encounter Jesse Lee Peterson. And one former friend of Peterson's also appear in the video describing incidents in which Peterson allegedly abused or made sexual advances upon themselves and other vulnerable men. The video also alleges that in October 2020, Peterson's Twitter account liked a post featuring a gay porn clip. And that's actually true. Peterson was asked about this on his radio show. Everybody who brought it up, he claimed that they were either evil or they were gay. Peterson has reportedly refused to address the allegations in the video, telling one caller on the show that, and I quote, is not concerning to me. Peterson has described homosexuality as the and I quote, spirit of the devil infecting people and asserted that it is the result of abuse. In June 2021, Peterson, who was black, called for Christians to celebrate White History Month in opposition to LGBTQ Pride Month. This guy right here has made a living off of being a catalyst for hate, propaganda, misinformation against members of the community. Now, on a very just personal level, when I tell you I can't stand people like him, I cannot stand them. But on the general policy dynamic, these are the people that give cover to Christian evangelicals that give cover to right wing politicians who create policies that are antithetical to the progress of this nation. All right, my dear sister, what are your thoughts on this? Yes, anytime you know we see someone like this have their 
you know, personal life really played out in the news. I don't really feel bad that it's violating his personal space or his privacy because this is someone who is frequently, you know, weaponizing ideas of gender and sexuality. The idea of the manosphere is something I didn't know of before this story, a hyper masculine right wing internet community. And to call it the manosphere, I mean, it's almost comedic, but I can't say it's comedic because it's it's pretty toxic. He asserted once that a woman who climaxes during sex is becoming a man. And people who enforce this this way of thinking, I think are insecure about their own behavior and it's important that they're called out because this is about freedom. And when you enjoy certain freedoms in private, but create a hostile environment for others to enjoy those same freedoms in public, I just don't feel bad that you're in the news for this. And I hope that things like this happen enough where these advocates who are, are doing exactly what they condemn other people for doing. You know, I hope it happens enough that people realize it's in everyone's self interest to stop creating these narrow buckets for sexuality and sex and gender roles and just recognize that our experiences are, are complicated. You know, growing up, I, I'm a woman, I really feel like I identify like a woman, but when my mom said you have to put on the frilly, itchy socks and act like a lady, I didn't like it growing up. So, you know, you don't have to be transgender and you don't have to necessarily be queer for gender norms and norms around sexuality to affect you. You know, it's important we have the freedoms to live our lives however we want to, especially the most intimate parts of our lives without confronting prejudice in society or in the eyes of the law. And the fact that he made money off of this makes it all the more worse. Yeah, farewell said. All right, and we're gonna give you an update because I guarantee you there's an update to this story. Okay, never seen anything like this before. A woman decides to climb through the window at McDonald's and make her food herself. Here it is. Lady climbs through McDonald's window because we're not taking any more orders cause. We have no gloves. She's not playing she wants to make her own food. and all. That is not serve safe certified. All right, yeah, that's what happened. There's a split decision out here on social media. So let me read you some of the comments and let you decide. One person wrote, she is an icon, while another added, okay, but she actually looks funny to hang out with. She looks kind of fun though, echoed a third. A fourth person called the woman a girl boss. And a fifth gushed, so funny, she seems like a good time. Not everyone was impressed, however, by the woman's actions. Though, with another social media user writing, no, nah, that was entitlement. I would have called the cops. If a business is closed, it's closed. The audacity and entitlement though, said another TikToker. While a seventh added, it's not right to do that. Um, there was some 
mixed reaction by the employees as well. I think some of them laughed out of shock and cannot believe this is happening. But naturally, that's a violation of every protocol. I've never seen anything like this before. It's a first for me. And I'm going to say, you know what? I probably should have put you on. I wish you Karen would. Okay. What are your thoughts on this one? Split decision according to social media. Where do you come down? Yeah, I'm gonna go on the side of the folks who are criticizing her for it. As someone who used to work in the service industry, specifically in food and in restaurants, not okay. My first thoughts if I was working there would be, am I going to get fired for this one woman's entitled behavior? And there's a perfect explanation for why she's doing it. And it's that some people just don't know how to act. I mean, she's clapping along because she hears them laughing. And she doesn't know that they're probably laughing at her and not with her. They're probably not supportive of what she's doing here. I think some people just forgot how to act during the pandemic lockdown. And I agree that it's it's entitlement, it's a lack of common sense. She's probably going to get some employees in, in trouble for this if they're asking, you know, why did you allow this to happen if you're their manager? And yeah, I, I just don't understand why you would want to do this if you're looking to go out to eat and then you're willing to go back and into the restaurant to cook it. Just go home, just cook your food at home. It's it's not hard. I just, I can't even imagine what was going through her head in this moment. Yeah, quite interesting stuff. All right. The January 6th committee may be finally getting it. Also, Steve Bannon is headed to prison for sure. And Donald Trump believes he will be indicted. Let me first bring to your attention the subpoenas that are going out to members of Secret Service. That's an institution, that is a powerful institution. But according to the Inspector General, members of Secret Service decided to delete text messages around January 5th, January 6th, and maybe January 7th in order to hide their correspondence about the insanity of then President Donald Trump. That's a no, no, because based on the timeline, Homeland Security, which by the way, oversees Secret Service. These emails were requested, these text messages, excuse me, were requested and then deleted. Now, obviously the spin doctor communications chief for the Secret Service Agency, He's saying something totally opposite. Even saying that they are fully cooperated with the investigation of the Inspector General's office, while the Inspector General is saying on record to the United States Congress, they are not fully cooperating with us. Okay, this is an update. So let's go to Chairman Thompson of the January 6th committee. Chairman Thompson wrote, the select committee has been informed that the United States Secret Service erased text messages from January 6th and January 5th, 2021 as part of a device replacement program. What? And by the way, there's no internal documents about this program. In a statement issued July 14th, 2022, the Secret Service stated that it began to reset its mobile phones to factory settings as part of a pre-planned Three month migration system thing, because that makes sense. Why would we not reset our phones? In that process, data resident on some phones was lost, according to them. However, 
in the Secret Service statement, none of the text, it, which is DHS Office of Inspector General, was seeking had been lost in the migration. Chairman Thompson sought information about Secret Service text messages on Friday from January 5th and 6th, 2021 that were reportedly erased and reiterated three previous requests from congressional committees for information they have gone ignored. All right, let's put up the picture of this guy. You see, these text messages would have also covered the time frame that Tony Ornato, Trump's deputy White House chief of staff, was allegedly involved in doing what? Well, he attempted to spirit away Pence on January 6th, preventing him from certifying the election results. Now, that's pretty damning. Now, I've counted 11 separate operations that they engaged in in order to overturn the election. 10 of them were illegal. One was legal, and that was going through the court system, but 10 were illegal. This is number 12. So they had a plan to literally kidnap the vice president of the United States to stop him from certifying the election. And let's not forget, Donald Trump wanted Mike Pence dead. When he heard that Mike Pence was not going to do what he demanded him to do, not signing the electoral certification, he didn't want him to do it. Mike Pence said, I gotta do it, it's constitutionally mandated. Once word got out, individuals in that mob, the terrorist group started saying, kill Mike Pence, hang Mike Pence. Trump gets word of this, he's told, they're saying hang the vice president. What does Trump do minutes later while watching everything unfold on a TV screen? He tweets that Mike Pence has betrayed the nation. He wanted them to kill his own vice president, not because he was mad at Mike per se, but because that got him to his goal. No vice president, no certification of results because the constitution does not provide a chain of command for the certification. If you eliminate Mike Pence, then you are in territory that is constitutionally undefined. And at that point, rules are made up. All right, so this is an update to another subpoena, okay, by the January 6th committee, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon is going to the pokey. Council criminal contempt of Congress for refusing to comply with the subpoena issued by the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol. So they sent him a subpoena. They sent Gina Thomas a, a, you know, a request. They should have sent her a subpoena and they need to send Mike Pence a damn subpoena too, by the way. But they did send Bannon a subpoena, he got one, he ignored it. Cited that he has some executive privilege that did not exist. A few days ago, Trump wrote a letter saying, "Oh, I waive executive privilege, Bannon, go forth and testify. Well, you don't, you're not the president anymore, sir. And that that whole thing, that defense he brought up was a bunch of malarkey. It's not even real, okay? So this was a legal attempt so that Steve Bannon and his attorneys can say to members of the jury, oh, wow, listen, we're willing to testify now. No, damage is done, sir. Uh, you go into the pokey. Now, Trump is telling his team that he needs to be president again to avoid these criminal investigations, which will lead to indictment. In recent months, Trump has made clear to his associates that the legal protections occupying the Oval Office are front of mind for him. Four people with knowledge of the situation told this to Rolling Stone. Trump has spoken about how when you are the President of the United States, 
It is tough for politically motivated prosecutors to, and I quote, get to you, says one of the sources. He says when, not if, he is president again, a new Republican administration will put a stop to the Justice Department investigation. Now this shows you he anticipates indictment at some point. They need to go ahead and indict his ass now. This has to happen, period, all right? Make no mistake about it, Donald Trump running is going to be bad. Even if he runs and loses, what do you think is going to happen? You don't have to be concerned about him running and winning only. You have to also be concerned about what happens when he runs and loses. I do think he's going to announce his bid for president right after the midterm elections. And I think instead of DC, he will do it in Florida to upstage DeSantis, his number one challenger, if, if he runs in the Republican primary. And there you have it, my speculation. Thoughts? Yeah, starting with the, the text messages from the Secret Service, that's insane that they would have erased messages from January 5th and 6th. And it's obvious why they would have done that. They had things that they wanted to hide. And just to say, you know, this is a part of a pre-planned device replacement program, and we had to erase some of the messages as a part of that program. But there are some messages that are still there. And the messages that are still there are precisely the messages that you all need. This is the Department of Homeland Security just setting themselves up to only turn over the parts of the text conversations that weren't criminalizing for them. They can leave some texts out at their discretion. That's exactly what they've set themselves up to do. That's really concerning. Um, just the fact that they're able to do that and, and Benny Thompson's doing a really good job putting pressure on them to ensure that they actually get the, the full record of text messages from them. Benny Thompson's doing a really good job running that committee. Uh, but also Trump avoiding criminal investigation for the purpose of running again really reminds me of the Iran Contra scandal back in the 80s where we had all of these folks involved with a conspiracy to overturn a government in Nicaragua, right? This wasn't an insurrection in the United States, it was one overseas. But you had all of the folks that were leading that effort to give military aid to the Contras in Nicaragua, which was yep. a right wing opposition group planning to overturn a democratically elected regime. And when they were caught doing this, when there was specific legislation dictating that the United States government should not give aid to the Contras, they were then pardoned by the next administration by Bush after Reagan came out of office. And Lawrence Walsh, who was the head of that committee investigating you know, that affair, uh, they said that this sends the message that people in power and those with powerful allies are above the law. And that really set a precedent that now Trump wants to come to power again, pardon himself and pardon those that were involved in the first insurrection. And I think you're absolutely right. That if he loses, he's going to learn from his mistakes the first time around and attempt an insurrection again. Yeah, and he may be successful the next time, all right? We got more on the other side, it's indisputable stick and stay. All right, welcome back, we got a lot of show left. Let me remind you of the conversation happening, check out the conversation today, 5.30 PM Eastern Time, 2.30. PM Pacific time. Who's on the conversation? None other than former mayor Bill de Blasio should be interesting. Jank is doing the interview, all right? That is going to be fascinating, I will be tuned in. Let me read some of the comments. Mickey C, the silver hair dragon. I could have gone the rest of my life never seeing or hearing the hateful raving lunatic JC Lee Peterson again. 
That short clip was too much. Yeah, but I had to provide context here, okay? But I understand. Lynn, it wouldn't have been a problem if she had done that at Burger King, where one can have it your way. <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, David Morris says zero issues with his sexuality. That's right. Major issue with his extinction level event hypocrisy. Yep. C. Michael Henson, uh, C. Michael, thank you for that. Doc, I remember when you interviewed this clown, Peterson. He is in the same category as Herschel Walker as far as his mental health is concerned. I sincerely hope he seeks forgiveness from above. Uh, well, we'll see. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on him for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're I feel great. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Karen was not expecting this. Okay, um, so they were kicked out of the club. I'm going out on the limb here, but I'm speculating they were drunk as hell, okay? So they get kicked out. Uh, they tried to resist being kicked out and got into a tussle with the bouncer, who they claimed was a man, but is a woman. Now, I want to bring your attention to this. Put this up for a mass here. Um, the, the crying graphic. Let, let's go to that one. Okay, you see on the right where the two Karens are consoling each other, crying on the pavement. Now, that must have been one hell of a club to get kicked out of. Okay. Um, I have not made sense of this, my dear sister. Uh, I understand where people get intoxicated. I've been there. I used to be a drinking man. I drunk too much, so I had to stop drinking. But I've been kicked out of places too. I have never experienced that kind of emotional reaction. Maybe I got angry and walked out. Uh, and I've never seen it before. I've been around a lot of clubs in my life. I've never seen people so distraught that they decided to hug each other. Uh, and cry on the pavement right outside of the club. Is this a dynamic that I have simply not been exposed to? Yeah, the difference here, Dr. Ritchie, is just that, that you're not a Karen. That's why <laughs> that's why you can't understand this behavior. And that's why it's so important that you focus on the phenomena of Karenism <laughs> on your show. Because imagine calling the police because they threatened to do that. And they yeah. said that they were assaulted by the bouncer. Imagine calling the police and saying, uh, I was kicked out of a bar. That is the crime that was committed here. The police officer would laugh, that's comedic. And the thing with Karenism 
is these people feel entitled to have the experience they feel they deserve when they go out in public at the expense of everyone else. They can't think about other people. Usually it involves the explicit or implicit expression of prejudice, which we had here, right? They thought that this bouncer who was a lesbian who identifies as a was a man. And it also involves disturbing the peace, right? They're screaming, they're causing a scene on the sidewalk. It's people who think about themselves above all others. And if you don't do that, you probably can't relate to this behavior. There it is. Very good analysis. Okay. I got something for everybody. Double dose. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Who paid for that? You can't afford that, but you can afford that. You don't have to go through those kind of questions. It's 10 a.m. <laughs> I don't understand your aggression. No, it's not aggression. It's a question. That's aggressive. You want me to call the police on you? Why? All I did is ask you if you paid for it. I heard it's free. No, yes, I did. I don't understand. Oh, so you now, finally, you say you paid for it. And I, you clarified I something. I did two minutes ago. Oh, you're very articulate. You did understand English. Do you understand other languages? Oh, what? You don't want to have a congenial conversation? What is wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. <laughs> you make funny faces, though, like something might be wrong with you. I don't get... Why are people so You're mean? free to cry here. Yeah. yeah, I got more video. This is mean-ass OG Karen. Uh, Put up her picture full throttle before I go to the next video, okay? Uh, this is somebody's uh, grandmother or something, I'm sure, all right? You need to do an intervention with OG Karen here, okay? Th this was her verbally attacking a young Asian girl about whether she paid for a drink at Panera Bread Company. Here's more. Oh, you're going to cry about having to pay? Can you can cry in public about paying I, in your own name and everything? Of course I do. I did. pay too. Why are you being like this? I'm sick of paying for others that don't pay and they double on us. Screaming yell, this is a public place. Yeah, well, it's the same sort of intrusion, isn't it? You don't have to. You're just dying for confrontation. Oh, you love your starry role, don't you? You want to You know, while some will see this a segment and they will laugh at this particular Karen, this Karen is dangerous. This is the ideology that creates the sentiment of hate that also makes people feel small, puny, undervalued, undeserving. I want to say this to the young Asian girl. I'm sorry she made you cry. That broke my heart to hear you cry. But I want to give you a little bit of advice. When you see that someone is that ignorant, do not engage in a battle. Walk away because they will always beat you with their experience. Their ignorance has no bounds, okay? All right, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I think 
First of all, the microaggressions were insane. Calling her articulate, saying she makes funny faces. I mean, this woman's clearly very racist, but also to make this about paying, there's this dynamic of the older boomers who had it easy compared to this generation, angry at this generation for how they spend their money and claiming that they want things for free. And I, I pulled some numbers. College in the 1970s was about $394 on average annually. Inflation adjusted, that's about $3,000 today. Now the average price of college in 2022 is about $27,000. So they're always talking about, you know, you need to pay more, your generation is spoiled when they had it much easier than the younger generations. Housing, the average price of a house in 1970 was about $17,000. Inflation adjusted, that's about 129. The average price of a house is $348,000, okay? A lot of these folks paid into Medicare about $61,000 on average and are getting benefits and at the upwards of $200,000. And so it's really crazy that the boomer generation has this idea that the younger generations are really entitled when actually they're reaping benefits that they didn't pay into while we're having to pay much more just to get by and pay our bills. Great contextualization because it's never discussed in the terms of investment and withdrawal, and you just broke that down very well. We have more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. All right, welcome back, we got a lot of show left. I'll read a couple of comments, running long time. Old Jam said, I love how she's, how she says, this guy talking to her is just dying for a confrontation. Well, she's the one starting fights with everyone with two ears and a mouth. That's right. All right. Um, Kevin Bart, thank you so much, Kevin. Those baby cameras must must have really been fiending that Taylor Swift song. <laughs> That's so funny. That was a good one there. I like that. All right. Um, horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. Guy opens the door for two women. They don't say thank you. So he decides to pull a gun on the women who did not tell him thank you for opening the door. Um, let's put up his picture full of mass. He has been arrested. Police arrested this individual, his name is Joshua Murray, 25 years of age, a New Haven, Connecticut resident, after he reportedly drew a gun on Saturday on two women. Because they did not thank him for opening the door. He's been charged with carrying a pistol without a permit, which is a felony in Connecticut. Additionally, he has a misdemeanor charge of interfering with an officer and two counts of a second degree breach of peace. When he was located by police, Murray was in possession of the gun. And according to the police, interfered with officers during his arrest. He is being held on a $25,000 bond. The police were called to the family dollar store around 3.15 p.m. on Saturday. A witness reported that Murray pointed a gun at two female customers outside of the store, upset that they did not thank him for holding the door open, all right? Thankfully, no injuries were reported. More details about the incident, including the identities of the victims have not been released by police yet. Hamden is a town of more than 60,000 people located just north of New Haven. 
while nobody was injured in 2021, important detail here. Remember, more than 20,000 people died of gun violence in the United States, a significant increase from previous years, according to the Gun Violence Archive, an organization that tracks the country's gun violence. So far this year, more than 10,000 people have already been fatally shot. Now, as a reminder, this country has a fascination with guns. It is a gun culture country. You cannot disconnect the actions of individuals from the culture of the community. The person who pulled out the gun should have been arrested, absolutely. It's ridiculous. If someone does not say thank you for courtesy that you provided, pulling out a gun shows me your heart was never in the right place anyway. It's okay, sometimes people don't say thank you. You know what you can do instead of pulling out a gun on them? Say something like, hey, you're welcome, sarcastically, and walk away. Remind them, wasn't courteous not to say thank you after I did something courteous for you. That's simple. But to threaten the life of two women that you just opened a door for, well, that's just ridiculous and criminal. All right. Thoughts on this? Maybe it's not such a good idea for everyone to conceal carry a gun. I'm thinking of the recent Supreme Court ruling of Pistol Association v. Bruin, right? A 6-3 ruling that overturned this 108 year long law that was in effect for a significant amount of time, over a century in New York. That's now been overturned after a lower court ruled that the law should stay in effect. The Supreme Court decided no, that anyone should be able to conceal carry a gun, regardless of whether or not they're experiencing a significant threat, which is what the law originally put in place, that you have to demonstrate that you have a reason to be defending yourself in public to conceal carry a handgun in public. Now, this is really about People who have power in society versus people who don't, right? Women are oftentimes in vulnerable situations in public. Maybe women want to conceal carry handguns because they find themselves traveling alone a lot or in groups. But having people who are aggressors in situations be allowed to carry handguns in any situation is not a, a good precedent to set. But that's exactly what happened when the Supreme Court ruled this is now we're gonna see a lot of other states create legislation that allows anyone to just go about their business in public with a handgun. And this really demonstrates you know, what will happen if that is the case in every single state. And it's a very scary precedent. Very well said and keep in mind, Clarence Thomas, Justice Thomas, when he decided to write his summary judgment that literally gave guns more rights than women. When he wrote it, he utilized the terminology for self-defense. I have challenged lawyers on this show, constitutional scholars. Show me in the constitution where your right to bear arms is connected to self-defense, it doesn't exist. This was another ruling with Heller in 2008 that loosely defined the dynamic of militia with individual self-defense rights. It is nowhere contextualized in the US Constitution. However, we're making policy and even have a Supreme Court justice misquoting the actual Constitution. This is interesting, all right? Charlie Kirk, yep, Charlie Kirk thinks Democrats are creating variations of the COVID virus in order to win the midterm elections. Here it is. But something that I'm cautioning grassroots Americans about and something that I wanna 
continue to reiterate is the Democrats have something up their sleeve. Uh, this new variant BA.5, whatever this is, they say that there's gonna be new mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and potentially increased mail-in voting. Yeah. So we have to be vigilant. It's not a sure thing that we're gonna wipe them out in November yet. <laughs> I sure hope that's the case. I think the American people are there. But the Democrats, it's out of pure and total respect for how evil and terrible they are. I think they have something else planned. All right, Charlie, you don't look well, buddy. Okay, look like you've fallen off. Now I'm just telling you this because I care enough to let you know this on my show. Uh, let's go through the details because when I saw this, I said, what the hell? Literally, Charlie Kirk is saying that Democrats somehow, Democrats are creating the the variant, right, of COVID. Um, they are strategic enough to create a COVID variant in order to propel an atmosphere forward that would give them a better outcome in the midterm elections. All right, uh, Democrats can barely organize a voter registration drive. Charlie Kurt is pushing this narrative and you have to question where in the hell did Charlie get this from? Because remember, he's not a real independent thinker. Everything he says, he grabbed from somebody. So let's put it up, okay? See that guy? His name is Wayne Allen Root, a conservative radio host, a far right political commentator, and noted conspiracy theorist. Published Sunday, Root wrote a piece entitled, the Democratic plan to steal midterms. Say goodbye to Biden and hello to King Kong monkey COVID-19. That was Charlie Kirk's muse, his inspiration. In it, he said, and I quote, remember Democrats never let a crisis go to waste. Whether it's a new scarier variant of coronavirus, a monkey coronavirus, King Kong COVID-19, polio, Marburg virus, Democrats and their PR wing, the mainstream media, will soon be inundating you with scary news to make you hysterical. Hide in your home for months, mask up and get your 25th vaccine. <laughs> I mean, it's just, just, it's just, it's full of hyperbole and misinformation, right? Well, Charlie Kirk adopted this for his show. Uh, BA5 is not new, uh, this sister variant of Omicron was actually first identified in January. It has been tracked since April. BA5, part of the Omicron family, is the latest coronavirus variant to cause widespread waves of infection globally, documented fact. According to the World Health Organization's most recent report, it was behind 52% of cases sequenced in late June, up from 37%. In one week. In the United States, it is estimated to be causing around 65% of current infections. As a current vaccine or current vaccines continue to protect those who are, in fact, in fact vaccinated, the tweaking of the vaccines provides more protection. So, bottom line, if you're vaccinated and you got a booster, you're likely not going to have severe symptoms and you're not going to die, all right, virtually. Uh, there is no evidence that BA5 is more dangerous than any of the other Omicron variants. All those spikes in cases can put health services under pressure 
and risk more people getting long COVID, all right? The WHO and other experts have said the ongoing pandemic prolonged by vaccine inequity and the desire for many countries to move beyond COVID-19 would in fact lead to new and unpredictable variants. They said this from day one. The fact that you have significant inequity in healthcare and you have this massive virus across the planet, you're going to see significant variations of the virus. They said that on day one, they were right. That's exactly what we've seen. Charlie Kirk believes Democrats are somehow creating variants of COVID to win a midterm election. Uh, thoughts on this and uh, oh, Charlie Kirk. I wish the Democrats were half as effective and strategic and progressive as the right says that they are. He really believes that they developed a variant, you're exactly right. The Dems wouldn't even need to develop a variant because so many people didn't get vaccinated and so many people didn't get access to the care that they needed that the virus has been able to to mutate in the extreme in the United States, especially because we have such low herd immunity here. But I wouldn't be getting scientific commentary from Charlie Kirk, the same guy who said he believes a dolphin fetus is a human being. And I also want to point out Classic. that <laughs> that he calls everyday working Americans grassroots Americans. He talks about them in terms of how many votes you can get from them, right? Grassroots is a, a political term. These are just everyday Americans, but he chooses this language because he's thinking about winning elections. And he brings this to COVID mail-in. And he's already making right-wing voters, again, like they did in 2020, fearful and, and hateful of mail-in voting. And then when the ballots are cast, they start questioning, why did so few of, of our Republican voters cast mail-in ballots? Why are these all for Democrats? It's because you made your base hate mail-in voting. And so they're just you know, creating conspiracies to foment support for election fraud. When it happens, they're planting seeds of doubt that they're gonna start sowing as soon as votes start coming in. It's really interesting that the main thing for Charlie Kirk and his cronies is to invalidate absentee voting or additional access to let's say Dropbox locations, etc. In the state of Georgia, Donald Trump actually won on the machines. A lot of people don't know this. While they went around saying the machines are rigged. Well, he actually won on the machine. The machines in Georgia showed Donald Trump won the election. It was the absentee ballots that they counted that were legally submitted votes is when Donald Trump lost the election. But those are legal votes. Those are citizens exercising their right. Okay, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable stick and stay. Okay, this cop admitted to planting guns, to stealing money from drug dealers and a few other felonies. Well, he's only going to get months in jail. Let's put his picture up full mass here. Former Baltimore police sergeant has admitted to planting a BB gun on a man who was completely innocent, stealing money from drug dealers, orchestrating a drug deal and letting a suspect go free in exchange for an assault rifle. He will spend roughly 21 months in federal prison and that is it, that is all. Now, these are the things he admitted to, believe me, there's a whole lot he decided not to fess up to. Keith Allen Gladstone, let's keep his picture up, pleaded guilty to conspiracy to commit or to deprive liberty without 
the due process of law. That's a constitutional violation. That's what makes it federal. Three years ago, he did this. He also agreed to testify against other corrupt officers. And he did, including the leader of the notorious gun trace task force known for exploiting and abusing black people and known for dirty police practices. Gladstone had prosecutor granted immunity when he confessed to the other crimes. He gets caught, he says, listen here, right? There's no honor amongst thieves, so I got some information if you give me a lighter sentence. That's what happened. So let me go ahead and expose them all. Let's put up this guy's picture. March 20, 2014, Police Sergeant Wayne Jenkins, there he is, the disgraced leader of the corrupt gang, excuse me, gun trace task force, ran over a man. You see that guy? He ran over somebody. He ran over a man named Demetric Simon. When he ran over the guy, which was in Northeast Baltimore, Jenkins could not find drugs, could not find a gun on Mr. Simon. In other words, he just ran over a guy that he did not have any lawful reason to create interaction, to have police contact. So what did he do? After he runs over this innocent civilian in Baltimore, he calls Gladstone, put his picture up again. He calls the sergeant, the sergeant is the supervisor. He calls the sergeant, he says, hey Sarge, I've just run over this guy, all right? I, I just knew he had drugs and a gun, he doesn't. So I need you to come and plant something on him. What does he do? He comes and gets with two other cops, let's put up their picture. Now listen, these people are corrupt as hell. Not one of them objected to this. So Gladstone, the supervisor, the sergeant, worked with two other cops. His subordinates named Carmine Vignola and Robert Hankert, both of them. He told them to go get a BB gun and drive it to the scene where Gladstone dropped the gun. The sergeant dropped the gun to plant it. Simon served 317 days in jail on a bogus gun charge, the man they set up. Vignola and Hankard have been convicted for their roles in the incident. Uh, 15 Baltimore police officers, 15 now, were also convicted, convicted of misconduct at this time, 15. Now they keep telling you, oh, they're just way more good cops than bad cops. In that entire line, that chain of command, which good cop objected to this? None. The only reason there was testimony against the cops is because one cop turned out to be a snitch. That's it. He was saving his own ass. There's more. Other crimes committed by Sergeant Gladstone include, Gladstone in court said he started stealing drug money early in his career. To pay for confidential informants is what he said, adding that it was a common practice on the force. Once again, common practice equals what? Culture. By 2003, Sergeant Gladstone said he started keeping the money for himself. Sergeant Gladstone also admitted to stealing money in raids with Jenkins three to five times and planting drugs on a suspect. He said he once delivered three kilograms of cocaine 
that he found in a police van to an informant to sell for him. And in another instance, accepted an AR-15 rifle to set a suspect free. Okay, don't talk to me about culture in policing as if it is a good thing, it is bad. You gotta stop thinking reform and start thinking replacement. These cats are rotten to the damn core. There is no help for them. There is no sensitivity training, no new policy. You gotta lock them up, let them go. That's it. One of Gladstone's victims, Mr. Simon said in a statement, it was dehumanizing what happened to me. Just think about this, the man had a gun on him that he didn't have. I appreciate Sergeant Gladstone testifying against other officers also responsible, but only after he was caught red handed. But that's what a narcissist does. He never apologized, he never showed remorse, not to me, not to the people of Baltimore. Simon has now filed a $17 million lawsuit against the police department, Gladstone, Hankard, Vignola, and the officers involved in the scheme. Good for him, he should get more. Now, what is he about to do? He's about to defund the police. Why, why will the police be defunded? Because of corrupt ass cops. You don't have any issue with police being defunded because of the police. But you have, have an issue with Black Lives Matter doing a rally saying defund the police. All right, thoughts uh, on this one. They plant the drugs and weapons. Uh, they take the, the drugs, the money, they plan some exchange for this cop to get an assault rifle, get the assault rifle, get the weapon. They run people over, but they are supposed to be the people who enforce the law. They're so bad at catching criminals that they had to plant evidence in this case. That's insane. How much corruption needs to happen before it's generally accepted that this is a corrupt institution? They're framing others for violating the law and orchestrating arrests with planted evidence. This is not just powerful people being above the law. This is them willfully violating it while framing others for doing the same thing. I really think we need to interrogate you know, where can we better spend this money to keep people safe? A lot of people are afraid of the notion of defunding the police because they think the police bring about safety. It's very clear when we look at all of these instances that they do not. So it's time for everyone to start thinking, where would that money be better spent to actually make our communities better? That's right, you have to shift from a policing paradigm to a public safety paradigm. The idea is public safety, not policing. When your city brags about hiring more cops, that's something that they should be ashamed of because what they're saying is that they have increased crime. They have no idea how to deal with it, no idea how to prevent it. So they're just gonna pay more cops that only solve crimes at a rate of less than 1%. All right, always a pleasure having you on the program. Tell people how they can follow you and check out your great work. Always great to be on. I'll be hosting on the main show every day this week, including the January 6 hearings. So check me out on there. I'm also on Rebel HQ, the TYT YouTube channel, and I'm also on TikTok. You're everywhere. And you do a great job, sister. Very it's proud always of great to be on. Thank you, Dr. Right. We got more. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. What's happening? Welcome back. We got a lot of show left. Let me read a couple of comments. Mikasi the silver hair dragon said, but 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 cops need those unreported guns. So when they murder an innocent civilian, they have a gun to drop at the scene to claim that the victim was a threat to his life. Because he had a gun. Uh, Paul Reeder says, 
Tell me again how these officers are any different than the criminals they are supposed to be protecting us from, mind boggling. Exactly, and they get a slap on the wrist, right? That's why a lot of people don't like the police. Not because corruption exists, because corruption exists in every industry. It's because they typically get away with it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. Yep, in the bullpen today, we have Mr. David McGarry, commentator Young Voices. Uh, David is a consumer choice fellow with Young Voices, and his work has appeared in the American Spectator, Real Clear Policy, and the American Conservative. I actually read some of his work, um, agree with more than I thought I would, to be honest. Mr. McGarry, welcome to Indisputable, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. All right. Um, so we're going to chop it up about mass shootings in America and the government's response to it. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about that topic. So if you would, give us your sentiment and I will then opine. Yeah, thank you very much. So as, uh, as you said, I don't expect that we're going to agree on everything today, but I hope that we can find some places of agreement. And that in the places we disagree, your audience can find some clarity on these really important issues. So my primary argument about America's mass shooting problem is that we need to spend a little bit more time thinking about it with more consideration and less emotion than we typically do in our nation's national discourse. So first of all, I'd like to point out that mass shootings in this country are just one of three distinct crises of gun violence that we have. According to Pew Research in the year or from the year of 2020, 54% of all gun deaths were from suicide and 43% were from murder. And mass shootings made up only 0.2% of the gun deaths, or I should say what the FBI terms active shooter incidents were responsible for 02 percent of all of those murders. Now, that is in no way to downplay the significance or the horror of incidents um, such as occurred in Uvalde or in Highland Park or in Buffalo, um, those three most recently. But it's rather to put it in, in a larger context. And since everyone wants to save lives, everyone wants to make sure that um, American citizens and American children and, and um, the American people in general can, can live safe, happy and secure lives. Um, we should put it. We should put the mass shootings in the larger context that they deserve, so that we can actually find some, pro, uh, so, or I should say, find some solutions. Now, those solutions to these problems. Um, also, I think we have a, a national, a national um, confusion regarding what, um, how, how to, how to find these solutions. Um, first off, we don't focus enough on the fact that our nation doesn't enforce the gun laws that we already have, and it's a cliche to say at this point, but it's a, it's true. Um, and simply going straight to Congress, as many people who have microphones or Twitter accounts tend to do, um, we should look at the law enforcement agency's response uh, to gun crimes. I mean, just take the police response in Uvalde as the prime example and the latest example of total failure. And we should also look to institutions of civil society as well to create a to create an environment in which we can live safe, happy lives while still respecting constitutional rights. Okay, 
All right, so let me go down the number narrative because you presented that first. Um, do you know how many mass shootings have happened in America this year thus far? Well, I, I, I can't answer that question because what a mass shooting is entirely depends on your definition of that. So let me ask the, you, sir, how, the are, how, how are you defining? How are you I'm, defining mass shootings? Because different um, different research outlets will put different numbers on that. Yeah, the majority of research institutions and the FBI, as well as the gun archive, they define a mass shooting as when uh, four or more people are actually shot, um, injured during during a shooting. That's what they right. classify. And, 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 to, and, just, and just to be uh, just to be clear, that's shot, meaning as you said, injured, not necessarily killed. That's correct. That is the definition of a mass shooting, uh, that people are shot in mass, mass shooting. So that's the definition. 350 individuals so far uh, in the United States of America, far outpaces any other country, even when you adjust for population density and countries that have a massive population. Now, that's problematic in America. So your 0.2% number is right most years, by the way. That's the aggregate count, it does fluctuate. But let's talk about the reason why policy is important and why there should be an appropriate government response. We typically weigh these things based on the impact to society. We understand that if a person is, let's say, hit physically, right? That has a different impact on society, a different impact on the individual. There's a criminal penalty for that, there's a punishment for that. But it's not the same punishment as if you killed somebody or attempted to kill somebody, why? Because when you kill someone, the impact to society is great, even if it is a smaller percentage based on the comparative data of other gun crimes. Let's go to Texas, for example, specific issue in Texas. We're talking policy. In Texas, the mass shooter was able to get a weapon that could commit great carnage at a very young age. How was he able to get this weapon when it's actually prohibited by Texas law? He was able because there was a loophole in the policy. If your parent vouched for you, if a parent or guardian vouched for you, you were then able to obtain this kind of weaponry. Texas already said in the legislature, 18 year olds don't need this kind of gun. But then in order to appease the gun lobby, in order to appease the red meat Republicans, they decided to create a loophole in that law where if a parent said yes, you can still get it. Now remember the parent that signed off on this was aware that his son had an issue with violence. He was involved or was aware of a police encounter where there was allegedly violence in the home, but he still signed off on it. And when he was questioned about it, he said, "Ah, you know, they told me to sign it. They did a background check and he got approved, not my fault, all right? The point I'm making to you is that one change in the legislative dynamic for Texas, with all things even, dear brother, would have stopped that 18 year old from obtaining that weapon. Am I right or wrong on that? Um, I, I think I think you in theory are right. But as I said, I think that we have a problem with the enforcement of gun laws. So even when they're in place, they are not always um, people slip through the cracks, I should say. Now, one thing I will say, I want, well, hold on, I wait wanna, a minute, wait a I minute. I want to compliment you for a second. Okay, go ahead. To, yeah, you you can do that all day, brother. Go ahead. <laughs> I want to I want to agree with you because <laughs> if you also look at the Highland Park shooter, um, he actually had police call to his house and they confiscated um, uh, knives and swords from him because he had made threats towards his parents. His parents then uh, refused to sign statements that would have uh, that would have prompted further legal action. 
And then his father signed off on a necessary form for him to get a permit to to buy a gun. So I actually entirely agree with you that the the family response to this is really really important. And this is this is something that I'm I've been banging my spoon on my high chair, if you will, yeah. about um, because I think that that families and uh, communities need to really spend the time with their alienated youth, and they need to they need to be in touch with them. And it's not even just about preventing a mass shooting, though I do yeah. think that though I do think it would do that. Um, but just for the sake of for the sake of these these lost uh, these lost teenagers who are in so much pain, um, families uh, like I said, families and um, and churches and synagogues and mosques and and um, uh, and schools need to be more in touch with with their kids who seem to be at risk for this sort of behavior. All right. So I could not agree with you more there. So let me say that, let me respond to the dynamic you mentioned about um, the enforcement element. People are still going to fall through the cracks as far as enforcement, if enforcement is not there. Uh, here's the thing, there are some murderers, dear brother, who are going to fall through the cracks this year. They're gonna kill people, they're gonna get away with it this year, all right? They may get caught later. That's no reason to say we cannot enact policy or law against killers and make sure that we hold them accountable when we catch them, even if they fall through the cracks sometimes. Another thing. I understand your aspirational point of view as it relates to parenting, but I don't pay those parents. The citizens of this nation pay taxes. They pay taxes and much of that tax money goes to support a governmental infrastructure that's inclusive of policymakers we call elected officials. Those are the people that are accountable to me because I pay them. Now I get your point, that point is separate from a policy dynamic because I would like my money that I work for and they take it out of my paycheck so that they can pay their salaries. I need them to be accountable to creating good policy that makes sense to communities that I love. I entirely, I mean, I entirely agree with you in principle. Um, what I will say, however, is that you can enact any any gun legislation no matter, no matter how comprehensive or how well crafted. Um, it will do no good if it's not enforced. Um, and then, well, that goes for any eyes. legislation, dear brother. Of course, it does. Any well, legislation, not just guns. Point, but, but I think I think we're I think we're violently agreeing again, okay. um, because because for any legislation, if anything is is criminalized, just look at um, just look at the uh, federal legislation or the federal regulations around around marijuana. The the large to a large extent, the reason why why states are able to legalize pot the way that they are is because the feds have a policy of benign neglect. Um, and you can also read my uh, you can read my writing for why the the some why federal marijuana laws are just completely ridiculous and uh, and crazy and unconstitutional in a lot of cases. Um, but I entirely agree with you. I th I think that we need to we need to for any law, new, old, proposed, or what have you, we need to enforce it. And and I think that we clearly have a problem where where um, laws aren't being enforced, and therefore it seems to me that. Either in tandem or before, um, in tandem with or before putting new laws in place, we have to start enforcing what we have. So, for example, one one mind-boggling statistic is that out of um, 112,000 prohibited persons, um, I believe this was in 2017, um, out of 120 of uh, out of 112,000 prohibited persons who tried to pass a federal background check illegally, um, the number of prosecutions was 12. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. And and with that with that kind of enforcement, if you have a one out of ten thousand chance of a getting of getting punished for that kind of behavior, of course people are going to engage in it. Okay. 
All right, let me ask you this question. We only have a few minutes left before the next show. In one of your writings, you highlighted the phraseology that was shared by Justice Clarence Thomas in the guns decision, okay? And you said, listen, this is about self-defense. Do you still stand by that, that the decision that took away New York's ability to restrict guns in a particular area was about self-defense and that this self-defense is in fact constitutional? Well, I wanna be I wanna be very clear and okay. um, sort of be very precise in my answer to that question. So um, what 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 Bruin's decision um, stated was not that um, guns could not be regulated, but simply that if you check the boxes at the end of the road, um, the state shall issue you a permit. Now, going back to going back to your question about self defense, I understand um, I understand that the word self defense do not appear in the in the Second Amendment. That is true. I will give you that. I will concede that. However, with that said. Um, Self-defense. If you go back to the debates of the time, if you go back to even before, uh, even before the founding of America, if you go back to the common law tradition from which we got so many of our principles and our ideas of what are rights, if you go back to the writings of William Blackstone, um, I, uh, I, I think you will, you will find that self-defense is actually an integral part of um, of, of our rights. And even though that, that wasn't, it was not the primary concern when the Second Amendment was being drafted, um, of the concern of of James Madison when he wrote the Second Amendment, of course, was to establish the militia as a bulwark against government. Um, even the militia was understood as being the outgrowth of an individual right to, to to keep and bear arms. And this was evidenced by the fact, by the way, that during the time of the ratification of the Constitution, there were conversations that were had by Federalists and Anti-Federalists speaking about the fact that the primary way in which a oppressive government okay. would end a, would would disarm a militia would be to to disarm the private citizens and okay. then let the institution falter as it were. All right, let me give you a correction to James Madison. James Madison did not have the same sentiment as the Virginia version of the adopted wording. He wanted to stop a national army. That was kind of a general sentiment. This was literally about having a well-armed militia for James Madison. So there was a split in that. Um, I understand your contextualization of the um, of the standards in New York. The reality is New York should have the authority to regulate these, uh, to regulate gun rules or regulate gun laws. And the, and the court kind of agreed. It just said their, um, their standard was not objective enough for them. All right, thank you, brother. It's a good debate. I appreciate you being thank on Thank you show. so much. I appreciate you having me on and hearing me out. Absolutely, man, anytime. Okay, remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable. Conversation coming up next.